Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 40% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Hello and welcome to the Arsecast with me, James from Gunnerblog. I can't believe it. I've been released from the binds of the Arsecast Extra and allowed to present the proper Arsecast. I say aloud, Andrew is away. He is on holiday in Spain, in Valencia, last I heard, the land of ham on ruffles. And he has been indulging himself with the ham on ruffles. In fact, he he, he sent me a WhatsApp, uh, a picture of a packet of ham on ruffles, which I was left feeling very jealous and slightly sad about. But I'm hoping that he's bringing some back for me. We had a bet in pre-season, you'll remember, of course, where I said Petr Cech would start. He said Bernd Leno would start against Manchester City. The prize, a packet of ham on ruffles. We all know what happened. Check started and, well, nearly kicked the ball in his own net. It's a price we had to pay, guys, so I could get my crisps. Anyway, uh, Andrew's very kindly let me uh, present the Arscast today, and it's a real pleasure to do so. Um, I've got an interview with Tim Steelman coming up, in which we talk about the Checker Trade Trophy, which, frankly, was something I had completely forgotten was happening. But of course, Arsenal taking their, essentially their under 21 side there, under Freddie Umberg's stewardship. Um, and winning 3-0 goals from uh, Smithrow, Emil Smithrow. Then Eddie Nketiah came off the bench and scored. And then Joe Willock. So three players you'll be well aware of there. And we'll be chatting about them and the team's performance with Tim later on. We're also going to take a look forward to the Newcastle game at the weekend. And have a chat about the start of the Women's Super League too. Because obviously we're expanding our coverage here on Ask Blog with the women's team. So I thought it'd be nice to have a little bit of a chat about that with Tim on the podcast. Uh, and if you go head over to Ask Blog News, you can read more about them there. Um, well, what can I say? Newcastle this weekend. And I think I speak for us all when I say surely it is now time for Torreira. We have waited and waited to see our new Uruguayans start a Premier League match. And surely that wait is about to end. I feel like he's the closest thing that we have to a player who can fill the gaps in our midfield in the same way that Santi Cazorla did. And if you haven't, I urge you at a quiet moment to go and read Sid Lowe's interview with Santi Cazorla on The Guardian. I I mean, you, I think it was last week, but you might have to be alone because honestly, you might shed a tear. It's genuinely heartrending to hear some of what he went through with his injury and how sad he is about the fact that he wasn't able to play for Arsenal again and not able to see out his career there as perhaps he'd envisaged. But he is a player that we miss desperately. And even those clips that I've seen of him playing for Villarreal, you see flashes of the old Santa. You see what he could do. He's someone who can connect the midfield, someone who can connect the, the whole length of the team because he's got that verticality to his game and he can achieve that either through dribbling or through passing. He can do both ways. Granite Shaka 
is an example of a player who can do it one way. There are genuinely not many better players than Shaka at passing into the final third. I saw some numbers fly around this week. I think he leads pretty much anyone in the Premier League. He's got double the amount of passes into final third of either Genduzzi or Torreira this season. And he's Arsenal's leader in that respect by a long way. I think he's got double what Meza Ozil's managed in the same time. So he is essential to the way that we advance up the field. He is a key playmaker for us. But there are massive flaws to his game. And surely Lucas Torreira is the man to help assuage some of those problems. I'm not expecting him to be Cazorla. I'm not expecting him to do pirouettes in the middle of the pitch and, you know, look all that, that cheerful and smiley all the time. But I am expecting him to be someone who can close down the space, which is something Cazorla wasn't necessarily famous for doing, who's got good passing over a good range, who can play the short pass and the long pass, and someone with a bit of tenacity too. There just seems like an obvious chemistry between uh, Shaka and Torreira. I think we saw it in the second half against West Ham, and we saw it in the second half against Cardiff. And when there's an obvious chemistry between players, sometimes you've got to embrace it. Think of Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang and Alexandre Lacazette. You know, there was a chemistry there. We saw it last season. We saw it in pre-season. You can see it off the pitch, the way they relate to each other. Emery took the plunge. He went with it against Cardiff and it paid dividends. They both scored. Arsenal won. I think it's time for him to look at Shaka, look at Torreira, put those two next to each other. I think we need to move forward and we need to have a central midfield partnership that can be the foundation of this team. And I think they're the guys to do it. Anyway, we'll be chatting about that and more in the next part with Tim Stillman. Um, so I'll speak to you then. Okay, today my guest on the Askcast is Tim Stillman. How are you doing, Tim? Thanks for joining me. Yeah, not too bad, thank you. My pleasure. It's exciting, this. Andrew's away. It's like Dad's gone on holiday and he's left <laughs> all the toys to me. And I suppose for you, you know, you're here without... That sounds bad, doesn't it? He's left all the toys to me. I'll move on, I'll move on. <laughs> anyway, it's it's my pleasure to host you. I wanted to get you on for many reasons, but one of which is that you are one of the Arsenal fans who made the trip to Coventry for the Czechoslovak yeah. Trophy game in midweek. Uh, I mean, how many Arsenal fans would you estimate made it up there? I'd say it was probably around about 200 um, or so, and uh, among them was Tony Adams. Yeah, I heard about that. Um, he just it sat in among the crowd. Yep, yep. He was just sat in the away end. Um, I was kind of quietly uh, nursing a bit. I got there, you know, about 40 minutes before kickoff or so, because the ground's in the middle of nowhere. <laughs> quietly nursing a beer, and this guy kind of walked past and he's, you know, looked at me and said, "You're right, mate." And I was like. You know, you know, when you have that flicker of recognition, it takes you a second to register. You're like, where do I? Oh, I know. Yeah, that's Tony Adams. Wow. <laughs> I, and, did, um, I had that experience once. Thierry Henry tapped me on the shoulder and I, and I, I turned around and had exactly that feeling of sort of. Yes, I was stood alongside yes, you when that happened. We were there together. Wasn't that what, the most, one of the most surreal moments yes. of your life? And, and he introduced himself as Thierry Henry and it was like. Yeah, we know who you are. <laughs> yeah, you don't. That's not something you need to explain, Thierry. I mean, uh, it's, to be honest, it's a good thing he said something in that instance because I'm not yeah. sure I would have been able to say anything. So Tony was there. Do you think he was there as a fan? Do you think he was scouting for somebody? I mean, what do you think was going on? I think he, he possibly was scouting for some uh, for yeah. somebody, but he was just um, sat in. There was an away end, uh, makeshift one, 
and he was yeah he was just sat there um wow you know posing for photos with people and stuff like he was he was really great with everyone you know because i think pretty much every single person asked him for a photo at some point and uh mm. and, and he was great with all of it but yeah i don't really know because it's not exactly local to him either and i imagine if he was properly scouting he wouldn't have been sat in the stands no um, scouts tend to have plus, their own areas within grounds that they get access to so i mean it's interesting isn't it he's someone who has been a strangely divisive figure really among the mm. arsenal fans in in recent years i suppose because of some of his comments in the media but hearing that anecdote and that story about him taking the time to you know do selfies and all that with fans i mean that's that's lovely and it's nice to know he's still got that connection with the supporters who go to games yeah big time you know i think he's always been he's he's a really really nice bloke i mean from from what i can gather and uh, and stuff i've heard um, over the years i i'm not sure i care that much for his opinions on football to be sure. quite honest but um that's that's not a crime really that's not really anything to get upset about um you know obviously the way he played for the club speaks for itself but you know he was yeah he he was he was in great spirits and he was he was absolutely fantastic with everyone it was it was genuinely it was it was really quite disarming to see because i know it sounds really trite to say oh he posed for all these photos and you kind of say yeah well big deal but you know he, he like he did it with it was really genuine enthusiasm mm. and that must happen to him pretty much every day of his life. So, um, yeah, absolutely fair play to him. And, uh, that, that was possibly the most remarkable thing that happened. Really? I mean, uh, there was another Arsenal, ma- uh, legend, I suppose in the dugout, mm-hmm. Freddie Jumberg, but did this have the feel of a cup tie or did it feel like a youth team game? It felt somewhere in between. Right. The actual game itself had a bit, a bit of a cup, I feel so it felt it felt kind of what what it is really it felt like somewhere between a reserve game and a cup tie the difference obviously is that you know I mean it wasn't exactly Coventry's first team um, but the average age was a lot higher so I guess what they're trying to get out of this is basically for want of a better word playing against men Mm. Um, and I, I think they got that um, you know, it's certainly, you know, you could tell that, like the Arsenal players were technically more advanced than the commentary players, but physically um, it was a little bit more difficult for them. But I, th- I think one of the, the really pleasing things that, it, you know, if you see the goals, Joe Willock's goal, the third one, um, where he really knocks someone off the ball. Right in the penalty area um, to score, and that you know you you could tell in the first twenty minutes or so you could tell that the Arsenal players had to adjust to that a little bit. But I mean, once they did, it was it was a fairly even game um, all told. But Arsenal were just technically that that little bit better. Yeah, I mean, Joe Willock is actually one of the players I want. It's funny enough, I, I looked at this game and I thought, well, there are three players on the team sheet or in the squad sheet rather that I'd want to talk about and they all helpfully scored during the game. Yeah, uh, And Joe Willock was the last of those because he was someone who I really thought might go on loan before the transfer deadline. There's mm. such a queue of central midfield players ahead of him now with Torreira coming in and Genduzzi coming mm. in, uh, Maitland-Niles, I suppose, although he's, he's been injured subsequently. How did uh, Willock get on because he's someone I really like the look of when I saw him last season yeah same me too he he looked okay he didn't look you know an absolute he, he looked like a half step above um right. Emil Smith Rowe looked a step above right he he looked like to like to be honest the game was slightly attritional mm. um 
in that they were fairly evenly matched it's just Arsenal had a bit more technique and you know this time of year the pitch is half decent and I don't think Coventry if this had been like an FA Cup tie um, I think it would have been a bit of a different experience but the Checker trade doesn't quite have that kind of intensity or the big crowd behind it yeah but um, but Smith Rowe was you know he was he was quite obviously the best player on the pitch until Eddie Nketiah came on and he was another one who when he came on he just looked that little bit better Willock I think was was kind of not quite on that level but um one of one of the certainly one of the standout players mm. um alongside Charlie Gilmore in midfield but also I, I think with Willock he's had some first team football he's had some Premier League games some Europa League games and physically he is quite developed he was quite a bit bigger than most of his teammates as well so I think that made a bit of a difference for him I honestly I wouldn't say oh Willock was absolutely outstanding this level looks um asinine for him yeah um in the way that I'd say that about more inclined to that about Smith Rowe and maybe Inketia. And and Smith Rowe, I mean, we saw well plenty of him in in pre season. Was he playing in a similar kind of advanced midfield role in this game? Where yeah. where was he starting? Yeah, yeah, he was playing in that. Um, he's he's kind of got a, and this is not a direct comparison by sure. any means, but he he's he's a bit like Kevin De Bruyne in that he's. He's a very modern midfielder in that he's not quite an eight and not quite a ten. He's somewhere in between. Mm. Um, so Arsenal kind of play that pair of eights um, in midfield at that level. And he uh, sometimes he uh, one of the things that's really good about Smith Rowe is he can kind of withdraw a bit, go back to the centre circle and do that almost quarterback type play Um, but he can also you you see it with the goal as well he's also got a lovely burst and he can he can get forward and beat players so he he can kind of play you know almost as a six and a ten all at the same time and um, yeah so he was he was kind of in an advanced role but he's never you know he's not an Ozil type Um, he will he will kind of drop back a bit and look to dictate play and um, yeah I I think I saw him a couple of times in the Youth Cup last season um, in that run and it was clear that under 18 level was was far too easy for him and um, I I think quite soon um, under 21 level is probably going to be going to be too too easy for him and I think it, with the kind of Europa League and Carabao Cup coming up, he's he's definitely a player who should be looking to get some minutes. I was going to ask you. I mean, you know, if he's, he's, shot, he's shone sort of at every level really so far. I mean, Coventry reserves is is one thing, but do you think mm. do you think the Europa League is realistic for him this season? Definitely to get on the bench, yeah, yeah. Um, and and look to get some minutes from the bench. And you look at last season in the group stage, players like Marcus McGuane uh, got off the bench. I think Jordan. Um, I've, oh, I've forgotten his surname. Ose Tutu. That's the one. Uh, yeah, yeah. He it was on you know, the tip of my tongue. <laughs> yeah, yeah. He got some. Um, I was thinking Vicar in a, Jordan Vicar in a tutu. That's it. Um, yeah. So he he got some minutes as well in those kind of you know the Borisov games and and Emil Smith Rowe could easily do that. I, you know I don't necessarily think he'll start a Europa League game. I think he's he's probably um, he could probably start against Brentford. Um, yeah. I, th- I think that that might be appropriate for him. The Europa League, you know, there is there is still something on the line um, there. We do still have to get the points. So he he will. I am absolutely certain he'll be in the match day squad and he'll come on. Um, 
but yeah, I'm, I'm not sure I'd quite start him in that environment yet. And I think another man, you mentioned him earlier, but Eddie Nketiah, he'll probably be in that same bracket where, yeah. he, you know, having been involved in the Europa League last season, albeit, uh, I think it was exclusively from the bench, he, he'll probably want to be in contention this time around. And he probably would have started this game, but he just came back late from international duty, was my understanding. Yeah, yeah, that's right. And and as soon as he came on, it was it was just quite obvious. And and you know he came on fairly late, I suppose, when legs are kind of tiring. And the the goal he scored, I mean, it was it was simple enough. It was quite bad mistake by Coventry and he goes through one on one but he's, he's just got that kind of when you know when he's in front of goal you just don't doubt that he's going to score he's he's you know a fantastic finisher um, I don't know enough about his all round game yet whether he's just a finisher or whether he can be something more but mm. Um, he's, he's definitely he's got that that really lovely kind of calm in front of goal, which um, which I don't think you can teach really. You've either got it or you haven't. Um, but yeah, I definitely he should be. I, you know, I'd, I'd really like to see maybe against Brentford, like him alongside someone like Welbeck, a bit more kind of experience to to help marshal him um, a little bit. I think that would be a really interesting combination, actually. Yeah, it's. I think it might be telling that when Nketiah started in pre-season, there was that game where he played in in the two up front, didn't he, with Lacazette? Yeah. And maybe Emery's just aware of wanting to put a bit of seniority next to him. I, I agree, Welbeck would be a good partner for him, and that Brent for game looks like one that he could sort of earmark for a start mm. I wonder I mean there's been a bit of debate online about if his goal uh, in this competition is recorded as a, a senior goal do you have any idea I mean you're a, an Arsenal historian of sorts <laughs> does it count what's going on no it doesn't because because it's uh, it's officially it's Arsenal under 21s and they're managed by uh, by Freddie Lundberg so it's, go, it's a bit of a weird one for Coventry it goes down as a first team game but for Arsenal it doesn't that's my understanding I see well speaking of first team games I presume part of the reason you went to Coventry on that particular pilgrimage was that you are not going to Newcastle <laughs> yeah. at the weekend I understand yeah that's right that's it's so that's my first domestic game missed since January 2002 wow um, what so was that yeah. game do you remember that game uh, yeah it's a 1-1 draw at Leeds you know Robert Perez scored that um, that really really nice equaliser where Henri let the ball go through his legs ah yeah I remember that uh, well Andrew will be delighted that we've managed to squeeze that into the podcast <laughs> in his absence uh, an obligatory Robert Pires mention so you're pulling uh, a Meza Ozil this weekend and not yeah, going to yeah. Newcastle <laughs> yeah sniffles. that's right so yeah so two, two of my best friends are getting married so um, and and it's it's also it's tricky when you've already had a wedding and they've turned up you know it's it, it yeah you've got to return the favour I think everyone should get married in international breaks I think it should Absolutely. just be I, I did and I think Same. it's well, there you go it's the only way forward um, but speaking of Meza Ozil I mean he at least online is intimating he will make the long awaited <laughs> trip to St James's Park yes. I, I haven't done the digging has he has he played there do you know no. I, I don't know. I've, I've got no I recollection of it if he has. No, I, I know he's definitely missed a couple there, but yeah. I read someone say today that he's never played there and I, I've not looked it up, but I did think to myself... That could be true, yeah. but I, d I don't. I don't know for absolute sure. I know the last two times we've been there, he hasn't played. I remember that. Mm. But when, like Newcastle, have had a couple of relegations in that time as well, so it's kind of difficult for me to piece together. But uh, that That's could true. well be true. They have yo-yoed a bit. I mean, he's got no excuse really. I mean, obviously <laughs> not going away on the international break. He should be. He should be fit and he should be ready. So, are you expecting him to start? 
Yeah, yeah, I am actually. I um, I think we might see a very similar team to the one against Cardiff, just because I think it will be a very similar game. Yeah. Um, Rafa's been saying in the week, you know, because Newcastle have already they've had a, a hell of a start. They've already played Spurs, Chelsea, and Man City. Mm. Um, they lost them all, but only by one goal, um, which kind of tells you that that Newcastle how Newcastle approach these games. Yeah, I watched that Chelsea game. It was it was not yeah. not great from Newcastle on the eyes. I mean, I suppose they would consider it a, a, a success of sorts, but uh, it was yeah, yeah. not the I most mean, expansive they, approach. No, they they lost them all by one goal. And what, what they try and do in those games is basically stay in it till the last 15 minutes, which I, I happen to think makes perfect sense. And, um, you know, they'll lose those games most of the time. So kind of losing them by one goal and uh, you know I, I don't know that's any bad thing but I think Benitez said in the week that he might take more risks against Arsenal um, and that, and that's kind of what Cardiff did as well it was weird because Cardiff on one hand they only had 28% of the ball but on the other hand when they did have it they were you know they were quite prepared to go at us mm. and understandably so because our defense isn't or our defending rather isn't hugely convincing but at the same time with what we've got up front i i'd much prefer for newcastle to take some risks and try and go for it than um than to kind of sit back and do what they did do what they tried to do against chelsea and man city i'm i'm still more comfortable with that i'm more comfortable with the idea that arsenal can outscore yeah um, opponents so i you know tentatively i'm don't get like i don't think newcastle are going to throw caution to the wind they'll still be quite compact but i'm i'm kind of okay with them taking some risks i I think they might score a goal or two if they do but um a bit like cardiff i could see a scoring three or four if they do that yeah i mean if it does turn into a shootout you know, I would, I would back us over Newcastle. I mean, they haven't got the most firepower. You know, when your big summer signing striker is Salomon Rondon, who I think is a, a decent player, but not a great goal yeah. scorer by any stretch of imagination, certainly in the Premier League, you've got to favour us. And with Aubameyang and Lacazette, yeah, you know, they're hitting off last week. I mean, surely they're going to start again, aren't they? It would be crazy to break them up after that. I, I think so. Yeah, yeah. I I think this is um, something Arsenal have really got to focus on. Uh, I like. I still think we can play them up front as a pairing. I I'd still like the idea of three at the back. Um, yeah. Just because I I don't think we're very convincing back there, and I think that that shape best suits the players we have. But uh, that's not what Emery's going to do. I I really like the partnership between Lacazette and Aubameyang because I think they complement each other so well. Like Lacazette does. All all of that um, kind of link play and coming short and showing to the midfield and you know closing down, which which Abamyang doesn't do. Like Abamyang is a pure on the shoulder in the box kind of striker, and um, I, I think they just fit together so well as a strike pairing. I think they perfectly complement each other, and they can both score. They can both score in a number of ways as well. Um, and I I really really think I'd really like us to see Arsenal kind of try and keep those two on the pitch as much as possible that's that's where our strength is mm. um that is under, you know we've got two 50 million pound strikers in the team that you know is it's top heavy absurdly top heavy but that's where all the strength is in the team it's those two with kind of Ozil and Ramsey behind them so i'm i'm just particularly in games like this you know, I think for 80% of the Premier League games, we should be looking at having Lacazette and Aubameyang together by hook or by crook. 
I would be inclined to agree because when you look at those two, I mean, it, it, I don't think it's overly ambitious to say that's 50 goals between them potentially yep. for this season. And I, I think that, you know, we saw the first two games of the season, he went with one and he intimated in his press conferences, Emery, that he was going to stick with one. But I just think sometimes, sometimes the easiest option uh, or the most straightforward option is the right one. And you've got mm. two great strikers who love playing with each other. You can fit them both into the team. You can sort of crowbar them into the system. I mean, how do you feel about Aubameyang on the left? It seems to be something that divides people. I, yeah. I personally don't have a huge issue with him playing out there. I don't, I don't have a huge... I'd I prefer it if they were both kind of up front and, yeah. and had a bit more freedom. I, I don't think it's ideal, um, but I don't think it doesn't work, if that makes sense. Mm. So I I think basically if you get the best out of Lacazette and maybe 80% of Aubameyang's best, that is that's like a more attractive equation than getting 100% out of one of them. Absolutely. Um, I, I still think having both of them on the pitch is structurally it's it's not great i don't think he gets the best out of Aubameyang at all but um what's he got like 17 arsenal goals uh, more than half of them must have come while he was playing on the left mm. um so it's not it's certainly not an impediment to stop him scoring um i'm sure he'd probably score more if you played through the center but we saw in the first three games he played through the center and he he really he struggled to get involved um you know, I know he he missed a, a couple of gimmies against Chelsea, but other than that, in the other games, he looked um, not quite lost, but he he looked like he needed a strike partner. Yeah, he um, can be peripheral, basically. can't he? Because he, yeah. he plays on the shoulder. I mean, I suppose a, it's a bit of a, a unfair comparison in some ways, not Bamiang, but Theo Walcott was similar yeah. in that he would drift out of games entirely because he was always looking to make that running behind, and if the pass didn't come, it didn't come. I just think I, I want to see Bamiang score score goals, score lots of goals, but I'm more interested in Arsenal scoring lots of goals, and I think we'll yeah. get more combined cumulatively if we can if we can put them both yeah. on the field um, speaking of partnerships there's been a lot of talk since the Cardiff game about the central midfield and mm. what the partnership might be there moving forward do you think it is as the Arsenal Twitter account will put it hashtag time for Torreira do you think it is finally <laughs> yeah. time that we will see Lucas Torreira installed and if so uh, who do you think he'll be playing next to I, I hope so he's He's basically he's gotten a bit better every time he's come on, and um, I think he's added something every time he's come on. I, I hope the calf kind of, I say injury. I don't think it's quite that serious, but I, I hope that the calf thing, um, where he got substituted for mm. Uruguay last week, I hope that's not too serious. Um, doesn't look like it is, but I hope that doesn't keep him out of this game. I, I yeah, I, I really do think it's um, hashtag time for Torreira. <laughs> um, I think. I, uh, personally, I'm fine with the idea of playing him alongside Ramsey. Um, I do think there is a longer-term question about what to do with that central midfield, and I, I'm not hugely convinced that Ramsey and Özil can play in the same team. Um, or, sorry, they can, but def it, it just um, it leaves us really out of shape. Yeah. And Xhaka picks up a lot of flack, and it's not difficult to understand why. Some of it's deserved, but I also think. I still think we ask him or whoever is at the base of that midfield to do so, so much work. And some of his kind of shortcomings in terms of his his pace or his defensive awareness. I, you know, I look at, and I'm not comparing him to these players per se, but I look at 
you know, Alonso, was Alonso fast? Was he a brilliant defender? Not really. Was Perlo fast? Was he a brilliant defender? Not really. But, you know, Alonso had the likes of Mascherano beside him. Perlo had Gattuso. And, you know, I, I just think that basically when the ball breaks down for Arsenal in transition, the, the midfield shape is, is a big, big problem. And basically yeah. we're not we're not a good enough team to get away with that. Um, I don't think so. I think longer term there is a question there because really I think Xhaka and Torreira on paper looks like it could be a really good partnership. We need to see it first, obviously. But um, but then again, with Ramsey's contract situation, um, this little conundrum will probably get solved for us um, pretty soon. But yeah, I'd, so like on Saturday, I'd be happy with Ramsey and Torreira, but... I think longer term, um, a, a kind of a big name is... I, th- I think this is something we're going to have to get used to. Um, the fact that when you look at the construction of our squad, not all of the parts fit. It's very top-heavy. There are some really good attackers who aren't going to be playing. I think we're looking at a couple of big names uh, probably going um, over the next year or so. Uh, I think... You're absolutely right because you know you say you know, it might be one from Ramsey and one from Urzel, and part of me in my head is screaming, "Well, what about Henrik Mkhitaryan? He becomes the odd man out yeah. in so many of these conversations." And you know, you've also got the development of Alex Awobi to consider in that as well. So mm. there, there is a bit of a, you know, there's a there's a difference. You want depth in your squad, but you also want a, a coherent and cohesive team. Uh, yeah. And sometimes those things aren't necessarily equitable. But do you think it will? be then Torreira do you I mean I hear you you'd like Ramsey do you think it will be Ramsey or do you think it'll be Shaka um honestly I uh, I'm trying to second guess Emery which is which is difficult because we don't know enough about him <laughs> yeah. yet I wouldn't be surprised if Torreira doesn't start and and it's Shaka and Ramsey um I've got a feeling that the calf issue may just give Emery not an excuse but you know that may just Give him pause Give him for pause thought, for maybe. Thought. Yeah. yeah. But do you think it might be time to sit Ganduzi down, do you? I mean, he's had a, he's had a good run in yeah. the team, started every game, but uh, maybe just time to take him out of the firing line for a little bit. Yeah, yeah. And you know what? We're, we're just going into the stage of the season where the Europa League group stages are starting. We've got that Brentford game. He, he's not going to suffer for games. That's very um, true. He'll play those games. So, you know, if he doesn't play against Newcastle, which I don't think he will, but then again, I, I think I've said that for every game this season. I've said <laughs> I think he'll he'll come out and he never he, and he never does. But if he doesn't play against Newcastle, he'll play on Thursday and he'll play against Brentford um, as well. Yeah. Um, so he, you know, we're, we're coming into that stage of the season now where a lot of the squad players will start to get games so I, I don't think we need to worry too much about him losing momentum or anything like that but yeah I, I, he's he's been really good he's been a real like bright point of the season but um, you know he's still a little bit rough around the edges which is totally to be expected um, and he, I think he's got a really great future but um, yeah I, I think we need to look at maybe settling down a bit now Emery's been um, trying to work his team out and trying to get a feel for some of his players but I think particularly in midfield it's, it's probably time to to settle on something and he's had a fortnight to think on things since the Cardiff game I suppose the last selection point I'd just like to touch on Petr Cech was another who came mm. in for big criticism after the Cardiff match do you think there's any chance that Emery will make the change and introduce Leno now? No 
Um, I think Leno's going to have to play um, a couple of games um, yeah. before that happens. And uh, I, I've actually been writing about this today, ready for the column next week. Oh, here but, we go. <laughs> so a little sneak preview. Basically, if Leno can be fairly competent in the upcoming cup games, I think that will start to put pressure on Czech. The, the thing that Emery's... I think he's been considering um, with this kind of Czech Leno thing is at Czech's age, basically once he's dropped, um, that's it. That's kind of the end. Mm. Um, it's very difficult to go back to um, a player at kind of that point of his career once. You know, do you remember Tottenham did this um, with Brad Friedel and Larice, and they just made Larice. I had forgotten that and I, I heard that time. on the Arsenal Vision podcast. Yeah, you guys were saying yeah. that Larice had to wait on the bench for, was it quite a while actually, quite far into the season? But yeah, it was about three quarters of the season, um, I think. But because the thing is, one, once checks dropped... Um, that that's kind of got to be the final curtain for him, and and for then, for him to come back in after that would be politically, I think, really difficult because that yeah. would be like an admission that Leno is really really not up to it. So, uh, I am absolutely certain it won't happen against Newcastle, but maybe you know after a couple of Europa League games, if Czech's still not quite got the hang of this playing out from the back and Leno doesn't make any huge errors, then, yeah, I, I listen, he'll do it at some point this season um, and he'll just wait for the right time. And we will see Leno this month, uh, yeah. for sure, because we've got the Europa yeah. League, we've got uh, the League Cup as well. So he'll get his chance and, uh, yeah, I think it will probably be Czech at Newcastle on Sunday. Well, I hope, uh, I hope they get the result in your absence, Tim. It'll be a strange <laughs> one for you, I'm sure. You'll be frantically checking Twitter throughout some sort of wedding ceremony or something like that. Um, I wanted to chat to you as well about the Arsenal women's team because one of the things mm. we've been able to do on the site this season, very excitingly, thanks to all our Patreon subscribers, is that we've been able to mm. ramp up the, the coverage of the women's team. I must confess, I come to it as something of a, a, a novice. I mean, I haven't mm. followed the team particularly closely, but I watched the, the highlights of the opening league fixture against Liverpool, which went particularly well it seemed to me 5-0 mm -hmm. they were very impressive I mean what what sort of state what's the state of the, the club the women's team at the moment mm. what are their aspirations for this season if you can just give people who are yeah. like me maybe coming to it fresh a bit of an overview of where they are and what they're hoping to do this year yeah, sure. So they changed uh, manager halfway through last season. It, it wasn't quite working with Pedro Losa. So they went through a bit of upheaval. But um, the new manager, Joe Montemoro, uh, started to get instant results, um, mm. basically. And Arsenal, um, they were 10 points behind. So in the Women's Super League, the top two go into the Champions League. Arsenal had a really poor start. Um changed the manager they were 10 points behind Manchester City uh, they ended up finishing one point behind Manchester City in the end they really really closed that gap down because uh, the new manager was was getting pretty instant results um, their aspiration will be to try and win the league um, which which hasn't ever really changed right um, I think maybe to people who only take a casual interest they'll look at the fact that Chelsea and Manchester City have uh, uh, you know finished above them for the last few years and might make the assumption that that's that's purely because they're far richer and they're putting more money in than Arsenal and and that's not quite true um, it's it, it's become more competitive because those two clubs are putting in more money Arsenal are putting in as much if not more um, I know 
several well I know three players in our current squad that either Chelsea or Manchester City tried to sign when Arsenal signed them and Arsenal got them because they were prepared to offer a much better salary so there's a big difference Um, from the men's game yeah yeah in in fact um if you were looking for an analogy for the men's game Arsenal women are a bit like Man United in that they've they're this big brand they've still got this great prestige they spend money absolutely no problem um and they, you know, they've got this pool for players. Some of the players they've signed: Vivian Miedema, who scored a hat trick. Yeah, she looked Liverpool. great. She looked really impressive. I mean, what's yeah. her story? She came from Bayern Munich, is that right? Yeah, yeah. She's so she's just turned twenty-two, and she's already got something like she's got fifty-six goals for the Netherlands. Wow. Um, age twenty-two. She's one of the best strikers in the world. Um, and yeah, she spent a couple of years at Bayern Munich. Um, plays it, it, it sticks in the core a bit to say her big hero is Robin Van Persie she grew up as a Feyenoord fan mm. and it's really obvious when you watch her play she's she's a lot like Van Persie and um, yeah she wasn't quite fit last season and that I think contributed to the fact that Arsenal didn't challenge for the league firing fit at the moment um, you know one of the best players out there uh, would get into any team in the world um, so yeah Ar- Arsenal's aspiration it will be tough because Chelsea and Man City are good but their aspiration will be to try and win the league the only thing maybe going against them is it's a really small squad there's right. only 18 players in it and uh, three of them have got long term injuries at the moment so they can't really afford any more injuries but um, they're playing really well and the morale um, in the squad is is really really high because it, it did get quite low about a year ago but it's super high at the moment that's fantastic and I, I think presumably part of that is is Kim Little being uh, mm. back and fit and playing again how, how big a factor could that be it's, from what I understand quite a big one yeah huge again she's um, in the top three kind of midfielders in the world she went out to the US you know to the kind of biggest toughest league and she you know she won awards and player of the year awards she's an absolutely outstanding player she came back at the beginning of last year and unfortunately immediately got a cruciate ligament injury so she missed about two thirds of the season and then you know, when she came back at the end of last season, she was kind of feeling her way in. Again, um, now fully fit. Uh, she's the captain now. Uh, 27 years old, 28 um, this season. So entering her prime years, and she is an absolutely superb player. And uh, she has a realistic claim uh, alongside Mia Demma to be, you know, up there with the likes of Frank Kirby um, as, as possibly the best player in the league. So it's a pretty exciting time to be watching this team. And one of the things I was struck by, I think I read this in one of your uh, articles on Arsenal News, is that someone, one of the players talking about the new coach wanting to sort of reinstall the Arsenal culture and the Arsenal mm. way of playing. I mean, is this, is this a team that plays in the traditions of Arsenal that we would associate with the men's team? You know, attractive football, things yeah. like that? Yeah, yeah. So he's he's quite big on, like, total football so most of these players now play two or three positions um he gave uh, when i spoke to him a couple of weeks ago he he used the phrase uh formations are for football journalists um (laughs) so he was what he was basically saying was uh, you know we don't really work on formations we work on the simple idea that when someone gets the ball in space and immediately finds someone in space that's that's the whole principle so yes it's kind of fast moving passing football but one of the things um joe always talks about 
Um, some, I mean, sometimes, uh, depending on your point of view, it can be difficult to listen to because he always says, like, describes Arsenal as a brand. And uh, I don't think he means that in the Stan Kroenke sense of the word, but he's he's constantly talking about, I wanted to bring back, you know, the Arsenal brand where Arsenal play good football and they're feared throughout the world and they're respected throughout the world. Um, and that they have like a very, very clear style of play. Mm. And um, Joe came from Melbourne City. Um, so he's been in the City group actually for a little while. So and, and I think that influence kind of shines through because he talks a lot about brand process, you know, doing things right from top to bottom, having an identifiable style of play. Um, so, yeah, I, 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 but I, I think that's, that's a, it, it, that's a really good kind of influence because Arsenal haven't won the league in six years, which for the women's team is just unheard of and it's far too long and they should have won it by now. And I think what he's really trying to get at is everybody knows that the team is good enough to do it, but it's about instilling that belief in the players again. Yeah, I think brand, you know, inevitably it's a word that's a bit of a sort of turn off for us as fans. Mm. But, you know, we still like to talk about the values of a club and the associations we have with the club. And it's nice to hear about Arsenal behaving like a big club, really. That's what mm. we want to see them doing in every aspect, whether it's the men's team or, or the women's team. And if people want to tune in and, and see more of the mm. women's team coming up, I think there are a couple of opportunities. They play lose this weekend, yeah. but then the next home game against West Ham, which is on Sunday, September 23rd, that's going to be streamed live on the Super League Women's Super League Facebook page. Is that right? That's correct. Yeah, unfortunately, that's right before we play Everton. Um, right. home, but I'm, it's I'm really hoping, annoying when they do that. Yeah, yeah. Um, but I'm hoping to try and persuade Arsenal to show it inside the stadium. Um, but that we'll see. Um, and yes, and they're away at Chelsea on the 14th of October, which is an international weekend. So. Um, no excuse there um, and that's, that's going to be on BT Sport, Sport. right yeah. which you've all got anyway because you've got to watch the Europa League on it so exactly you might as well watch it well great thank you so much Tim for your time I really appreciate that Pleasure. thanks for coming on um, don't tell Andrew we were here etc blah 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 <laughs> uh, if you put everything this- back where you found yeah, it yeah exactly that um, if you enjoyed listening to Tim on this I'm sure you do already but do listen to the Arsenal Vision post-match podcast they've also got a Patreon page which enables to you to unlock a load of fantastic content and Tim's doing some brilliant match previews on there I'm a subscriber myself I can't recommend it enough but yeah thanks Tim and speak to you soon Cheers, pleasure. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort. So you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now save 40% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards.
Only at Sleep Number Stores or SleepNumber.com. So there we go. That was Tim. Thank you so much, Tim. Fantastic as always. Uh, Tim's really annoying because not only is he a really nice guy, he's an exceptionally talented man too. And as someone who writes about Arsenal, every time I read one of his columns on Arsblog, I feel simultaneously excited and thrilled by how great it is, but also very, very jealous. He's got a brilliant way with words. And if you if you don't read his columns, you should look out for that one on Petr Cech coming up and check him out on the Arsenal Vision podcast. Those guys are doing some great stuff. Um, I hope you've enjoyed this one. I know it must be weird. Andrew's not there. You haven't got the dulcet Dublin tones, you know, warming your cockles of your hearts. I did think about rolling out my Irish accent, but anyone who's heard me do an Irish accent, well, we all remember the whole Lucky Charms thing. I think it's for the best I didn't do that. I'm actually starting a new acting job at the moment and they keep presenting me with new accents I have to do. Uh, sort of, funnily enough, we play Newcastle this weekend and I've spent the last two days doing Geordie. Uh, shall I do it now? I feel like I've talked about it enough that I need to... Geordie Askast Alright Welcome to the Askast I mean that's That's going on the television guys Is that going to be acceptable? Alright Welcome to the Askast With me James from Gunnerblog Don't be worrying about Andrew not being here We're still going to have a great time <laughs> It's something isn't it? Um, anyway Hope you have had a great time I suppose I just, I just want to take a quick moment Before I go to say Thank you for listening uh, normally I just get to say bye-bye at the end but I, I would like to say thanks for listening to this one thanks for listening to all the Askcast the Askcast Extra a special thanks to our, our Patreon subscribers as well it's massively appreciated but honestly anyone who who listens who sends in a question who reads a review who subscribes to the podcast per, I, I know Andrew appreciates it but me personally I really appreci- appreciate it I love doing it I love having the relationship with you guys. I love coming up with Andrew and answering your, all your weird hypotheticals that you put to us. Um, so, yeah, thanks for tuning in and please continue to do so. It's a really exciting time to be an Arsenal fan. Every game brings us something new. We learn something new about Unai Emery and we learn something new about this team. I mean, normally what we learn is that he really loves Matteo Gunduzi. That's what we learn. <laughs> we, lo- we know that he loves that guy so much he's going to start him forever, but... I think maybe this week we might learn a little bit more because essentially since he's come into this team, he's not been firefighting, but everything's been come to act really thick and fast. You know, he arrived in the middle of a transfer window, had to do all those deals, you know, had to make decisions about players, about Jack Wilshere, about, you know, Torreira, about what he was going to do with Danny Welbeck, Aaron Ramsey, Mesut Ozil. Then suddenly he was into the thick of it with the games. He had Manchester City, he had Chelsea, you know, huge matches straight away, four matches, bang, 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 back to back. He had to just get through those. The international break has given him some breathing space. It's given him time to look at his squad, to look back at those games, do some more video analysis. You can bet he has. We have been in those suites, looking at those games, seeing what he can learn and implementing new ideas with the players who were left at home and some big players. You know, let's not forget, Mesut Ozil's been at home in this time. So I do wonder if this Newcastle match might give us a little bit more insight into what Unai Emery's Arsenal looks like. Let's hope it's a winning Arsenal. Uh, I think we've got every chance of going there and getting three points. And these, we're in a run of games where we we can win them all and we need to win them all, really, because we've got ground to make up. Anyway, thanks for listening again. Been a lot of thank yous, but I do really appreciate it. Catch you soon on the Ask Us Extra after Newcastle. For now, 
Bye-bye. Want flexibility? Take yoga. Want flexibility with your health insurance? Check out United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly medical, dental, and vision coverage that may be right for you. More at UH1.com. 